exist to see God glorified and disciples multiplied through the power of the gospel. Confession of sin is essential for the whole Christian life, not just the beginning. To borrow a story from Pastor H.B. Charles, there was once a man in Madrid, Spain, who had a troubled and rebellious teenage son. Eventually, the son ran away, but the father did not give up on his son. He did everything he could to find his son and to bring him home, and eventually the father took out a full-page ad in the Madrid City newspaper that read, Paco, I love you, I forgive you, and I want you to come home. If you get this message, meet me at noon tomorrow outside the newspaper office. Love, your father. The next day, it was said that 800 young teenage boys showed up outside the office in hopes of being reunited with their fathers. I wonder today if there's some Pacos who have slept in here today. Maybe you showed up seeking to be restored with your own heavenly father. And let me tell you some good news. Our God is far more willing to forgive than we are to repent. If you haven't already, please grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm chapter 32. If you're using a pew Bible, it's on page 546. But while you're turning to Psalm 32, let me tell you that that most scholars think this psalm was written in the aftermath of David's affair with Bathsheba. Many of you know the story that after David had served the Lord so faithfully for so long... He stayed home at a time when kings were supposed to go to war. And while he was staying home in the palace, he saw a woman that caught his eye. And so he sent for her and he had an affair with her. Not only was David married, but this woman was married. She was the woman Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of David's own generals, who was out on the battlefield at that time serving Israel faithfully. And when Bathsheba became pregnant, David conspired to cover up the affair with lies and deceptions. But after he failed to do that, he ordered to have Uriah killed. And then David took Bathsheba to be his own wife. In Psalm 51, which we read earlier during our call to confession, that was David's prayer of confession after the prophet Nathan confronted him for his sin. And Psalm 32 is in connection to Psalm 51. It comes after Psalm 51 in chronological order. Psalm 32 is David's reflection on that confession of sin. Now as believers, we all know what it's like to come to God in confession. Every Christian has had a moment when they realized how great of a sinner they were and how great of a savior Jesus was. And they ran to him and they confessed their sin and they begged for forgiveness. And Jesus forgave them all their sins, past, present, and future. And this psalm has much to say about that initial moment of confession. But when David came to God and confessed his sin, he was already a believer. So why did he feel the need to confess his sins again? In the New Testament, why why does Jesus teach us to pray, Our Father who art in heaven, forgive us our trespasses. In fact, I'm sure many of you have wondered from time to time, is why do we confess our sins together as a church every Sunday? Well, because confession of sin is essential for the whole Christian life, not just the beginning. Romans 1 tells us that God has given every human being on earth a conscience. 
And that even if we've never read the Bible or any of God's commandments, we have a sense of God's law in our hearts. We all have a basic knowledge of right and wrong. And when we do wrong, we suffer. We feel bad. We feel guilt. When we have unconfessed sin, it becomes a burden and a weight on our shoulders. And the longer we walk with it, the heavier it becomes. And this is especially true for the believer. Because as believers, God has given us new hearts with new desires. And we no longer desire what we used to desire. And the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you'll feel the pain of unconfessed sin. So let me ask you, are you weighed down today by the burden of sin? Do you feel shame for things that you have done in your past? Are you doing everything in your power to cover up your guilt, but it just has not worked out? Are you one of those Pacos today that slipped in seeking to be restored to your heavenly father? Well, once again, the good news is that our God is far more willing to forgive than we are to confess. And my prayer for us this morning is that we would find joy in confessing our sins to God. Because in Psalm 32, we'll find three reasons confessing our sins brings blessing. Three reasons confessing our sin brings blessing. First, because blessing is found in complete forgiveness. We'll see that in verses 1 to 4. Secondly, in verses 5 to 7, blessing is experienced through repentance of sin and faith in Christ. And finally, in verses 8 through 11, blessing includes God's guidance. Blessing is found in complete forgiveness. Blessing is experienced through repentance and faith. And blessing includes God's guidance. So let's pray and we'll dive into this beautiful passage. Dear Heavenly Father, we have so often neglected to come and to confess our sins to you. Even though we know that you're ready to hear them. Lord, you are a merciful and gracious God, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will no, by no means clear the guilty. So, Lord, as we come to you this morning, by the power of your Spirit, grant us the ability to know the truth contained in Psalm 32. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Look with me to Psalm 32, verses 1 through 2. A mascal of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and whose spirit there is no deceit. We'll stop right there. That little phrase right above verse 1 in your Bibles is actually also a part of the Scripture. In the Hebrew Scripture, that's actually the first verse. And that little phrase we're told is a mascal of David. A mascal is simply a song or a psalm of teaching. We heard back in Psalm 51 that David promised to teach sinners to return to the Lord. And then this psalm, we find that he was true to his promise as he teaches us how to return to the Lord. And as David begins his teaching, we see that he starts this psalm the same way Psalm 1 started, the same way the Sermon on the Mount started, with that word, blessed. In our world, we talk a lot about blessing. We usually means that for someone to be blessed is for them to have what they want. They have the family they want, the financial security they want, the job they want, the house they want. There are even countless preachers on television who will tell you that if you have enough faith, 
God will bless you with health, wealth, and prosperity. But none of those are the biblical definitions of what blessing means. In Hebrew, the word blessed comes from the same word which means happiness. That's why the New Living Translation of verse 1 reads, Oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven. At its core, to be blessed means to be happy or joyful. And I think that's why the world gets this world, this word so wrong because the world believes the lie that you can find lasting happiness in this world. The problem is you and I were made to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. And the things of this world make terrible, terrible gods. Like, like I don't know about you, but I've never had a meal so good that after it I said, I'm done eating for the rest of my life. My hunger has been satisfied. I've never seen a movie so good that after it I said, I'm done with all entertainment. That was perfect and I'm never going to need to watch or enjoy anything else. The joys of this world are utterly fleeting. Even good things can't satisfy the deepest longings of your heart. For instance, I love my daughter, but I'll be honest with you, terrible God. I love my wife, and I don't know anyone I have more respect for, more love for, and appreciation for, but terrible God. Not because she's bad, but she's bad at being God. She cannot satisfy the deepest longings of my soul. And here's the thing. I know a lot of people who make a God out of their families, and that is an absolutely miserable way to live. Because not only is your family going to disappoint you, but when you place that burden on their soldiers, when you're expecting your family to fulfill the deepest longings of your heart, that is a burden that, let me tell you, they cannot bear. And don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying to try to find happiness in religion. Because let me be honest with you, church. You make a terrible God. I love you. There's a reason I greet you every Sunday with, with good morning, beloved. But you make for a lousy God. Not because this church is bad, but religious rituals and Christian community were never meant to be the driving force behind your joy. This probably goes without saying, but pastors make for terrible, terrible gods. We're going to fail you and to disappoint you at some point or another because we're still sinners. We're still only human. And I know a lot of people, especially it seems like in recent years, more and more people are, are leaving the church and they have stories of, of churches who have hurt them or pastors who have hurt them. And I've experienced hurt from both pastors and people within churches before, and I don't want to discount that. That hurt is real. But when I hear some of these stories and the expectations they had, a lot of times it seems like these individuals made the church or the pastor out to be their God. And when their church hurt them or their pastor hurt them, then their, their God betrayed them. And so they lost faith. That's a terrible way to leave, live life is trying to find happiness in organized religion. So is happiness even really possible in this world? Well, verse 1 tells us that a blessed life is possible. That happiness is attainable in this world. But it looks very different than the kind of happiness that we usually expect. As David begins his teaching on what it means to be blessed, notice that he uses three different words for wrongdoings. Transgression, sin, and iniquity. To commit a transgression means to break a law. To commit sin means to miss the mark. To commit iniquity means to do something which is crooked. These three terms, if you notice, all have incredibly similar meanings. 
Notice that David does not just use three different words for wrongdoing, but he also uses three different words for the removal of wrongdoing. The transgression is forgiven. The sin is covered. The iniquity is not counted. This is Hebrew poetry at its finest. You see, the Israelites did not rhyme sounds like we do. They loved to rhyme ideas to really drive home a point. They loved repetition. And a good good rule for reading the Bible is that if you ever see something once in the Bible, you should pay attention to it because it's the Holy Word of God. Amen? But if you see something repeated, then you should really pay attention to it, pay special attention to it, because the biblical author is trying to get your attention. But if you see something repeated three times, then it's an all-consuming reality of Scripture. So, for instance, Isaiah 6 The angels are around the throne of God and they're shouting to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's an all-consuming reality that our God is holy. This is sometimes called the Hebrew triplet in poetry. And so what David is doing in verses 1 and 2 is presenting these two all-consuming realities. He's saying, Happy is the one who has every last wrongdoing he has ever done completely and totally forgiven. How do you get this kind of forgiveness? We'll look back to verse 2. To receive this blessing, to get the joy that comes from complete forgiveness, we must be people in whose spirit there is no deceit. Is David saying as long as you've never deceived anyone, the Lord will forgive everything else? Well, if that was the case then we'd all be in trouble because who in here has never lied? I don't think that's what this verse is talking about. I think verse 2 is saying the Lord forgives the one who has been totally honest with God, who holds nothing back about their sin. And that's why you'll see that very clearly in verse 3, when David says he talks about uh, when he kept silent and had not yet confessed to the Lord. Look with me to verses 3 and 4. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. Selah. From the time that David began his affair with Bathsheba to the time he confessed his sin was about nine months. And it seemed like in that time, even though David kept up the appearances and went about his business as usual, Inwardly, he was being tormented by the guilt that he felt. And once again, in verses 3 through 4, we see David using the Hebrew triplet to describe the all-consuming nature of his guilt. His bones wasted away. He groaned all day long, and his strength was dried up. When we have unconfessed sin, it becomes a burden and a weight on your shoulders, and the longer you walk with it, the heavier it becomes. You see your conscience works like a check engine light. When you see your check engine light on, what are you supposed to do? Either take it to the mechanic or pop the hood open for yourself and see what's wrong. Well, imagine if someone, when they saw their check engine light was on, just covered it up with a piece of tape and said, car's fixed. Or imagine if someone saw the light was on, so they grabbed a hammer and they just smashed it. And they said, the light's off, job well done. And that's oftentimes what we do with our guilt and our shame. We try to reason with ourselves and say, this wasn't really wrong or to hide it or to suppress it. But really, we're just trying to cover up uh, and, and treat the symptoms rather than fixing the problem that's actually wrong. 
You will never find lasting joy unless you pop open the hood and fix the problem. You will never find lasting happiness until you find complete and total forgiveness. Blessing is found in complete forgiveness, but now the question is, how do we get it? I think that's where verse 4, that's why verse 4 ends with the word Selah. The Psalms were written to be sung by the people of God. And we see the word Selah was probably meant for the people to pause and reflect while someone played a bit of music. So why are we told to reflect here? Because what you need more than your next breath is the complete and total forgiveness of God. The God of the universe is holy, 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 and he must and will punish all sin. So that means one day you're going to have to stand before this holy God and give an account for everything. From the smallest white lie you've ever told to the worst thing that you have ever done. And God will judge you. That's the bad news. But the good news is that blessing is also experienced through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus. Look with me to verse 5. I acknowledge my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Selah. Once again, we're told to Selah and pause on verse 5. And here David uh, hits us with another Hebrew triplet. He repeats those three different words for wrongdoing that we saw in verses 1 and 2, but now he gives us a new set of three. He gives us three different words that all mean to repent. I acknowledge my sin. I did not cover my iniquity. I will confess my transgressions. So what is he saying? He's saying the only way to receive absolute and complete forgiveness of sin is through absolute and complete repentance of sin. And on the one hand, this is absolutely glorious because verse 5 means that forgiveness is possible for even you. No matter what you've done, no matter how far away from God you've run, God's grace is greater than your sin could ever be. Blessedness and peace and joy are all possibilities for you today if you will go to God and confess your sins. But on the other hand, you may read verse 5 and wonder, how on earth could God possibly have forgiven David? To commit adultery, conspiracy, and murder? How can God be good if if he just lets sin like that go unpunished? And if you're asking that question this morning, then that's a great question because that is the question of the Bible. Exodus 34, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. How can God show mercy and grace and forgive iniquity and transgression and sin, yet somehow not leave the guilty unpunished? How can God forgive sinners and punish sinners at the same time? And the answer is in the cross of Jesus Christ. God can forgive a guy like David because he crushed his only begotten son in his place. When Jesus came to this earth, he lived his life on this earth without transgressing the law once, without committing iniquity a single time, without sinning at all. 
And then he laid down his life on the cross and he suffered and he died for the wicked and for lawbreakers and for sinners like you and I. And on that cross, right before he gave up his spirit, Jesus cried out, it is finished. Why did he do that? Why did he say that? Because on the cross, Jesus did not die for some of your sins or even most of your sins, but Jesus completely paid it all for all of our sins. And then God raised him from the dead, proving to us that his sacrifice was accepted by the Father and that even sinners like David could go to God and find forgiveness in Jesus Christ so that sinners like you could even go to God and find forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That's why in verse 1, blessed is the man whose sins are covered. But in verse 5, David tells God, I did not cover my iniquity. If David did not cover his iniquity, then who covered it? The Lord covered David's sin. Even though David didn't have as full of a picture of what Jesus did on the cross, David knew Psalm 22, which he wrote. That one day the Messiah would come and suffer and die for the sins of his people. And so when David confessed his sins and had faith in the promised suffering servant, God covered David's sins in Christ. You see, confession alone does you no good. I was raised to believe that by confessing our sins, we were earning God's good favor. But that's not it at all. Confession alone does nothing. I mean, just imagine you're guilty of a crime and it's your day in court and you stand up to give your defense before the judge and you confess. If you did that, would you be innocent or guilty? Guilty. The judge may appreciate your confession because it saves them some time, but you are still going to prison. And when we confess our sins to God, we're not making ourselves innocent, but we're acknowledging that we're guilty and we're relying on Jesus to make us innocent by his blood. And that's why David prays in verses 6 and 7 this, Therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Surely in the rush of great waters they shall not reach him. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. Selah. David wants us to stop and reflect once again because he wants to give us the opportunity to repent. I know a lot of people who delay in confessing their sins because they think that they're free to do so at any time. And there's some truth in that. But there's a deeper truth that the more we delay in confessing our sins, the harder it becomes to confess. It's appointed once for a man to die, and then comes the judgment. This life is all you've got, so seek the Lord while he may be found. And in verse 7, we find another Hebrew triplet. The Lord is our hiding place. He preserves us, and he surrounds us. Blessing is experienced through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus. So call out to him and make Jesus your hiding place. Let him surround you. Let him cover your sin. And this is our great peace as believers, that we are hidden in Christ. There's a word for this in the New Testament the Apostle Paul loves. It's called being justified. To be justified means to be declared righteous. And an easy way to remember this is that to be justified, it's just as if I'd never sinned. 
It's just as if I'd done all the good things that Jesus did. That God declares us righteous when our sins are covered by the sacrifice of Jesus. If you're a Christian in this room today, when I say I am, I want you to say justified. I am justified. Christian, never forget that in Christ you have been declared righteous because he is your hiding place. When I lived in Missouri, I went to this church where every single Sunday we would have a prayer of confession and then we'd have a time of private confession. So I remember I would sit there and I'd start confessing my sins and I remember I ended up getting really annoyed at the pastor because he never gave me enough time to really confess my sins. Uh, So I let it go because I was a good church member who never complained until it bothered me so much that I complained. (laughs) And I remember going up to my pastor and saying, Hey Sam, why don't you ever give us enough time to confess our sins, to really confess our sins? It seems like you're always interrupting us. And he responded and he said, Well, that's the point. The point is to interrupt you. And I said, What do you mean? And he said, The assurance of pardon is supposed to interrupt your time of confession so that you can be interrupted with the gospel. And that changed the entire way I viewed confession because when I would confess my sins, I would just end up in despair. I'd just end up depressed at how miserable of a sinner I was. But eventually the assurance of pardon became my favorite part of the service because it was in that moment when I was reminded that Jesus had already completely and totally forgiven that I felt the burden of sin removed from my shoulders. Now you may have noticed that every single Sunday we do the exact same thing. Every Sunday when we confess our sins, you may have noticed that I do not say amen at the end of our prayer. In fact, when I interrupt you with the assurance, that is not a prayer. That is preaching to you the gospel and reminding you that you are in Christ and that your sins are as far as the east is from the west. As Christians, we do not confess our sins to be saved all over again, but rather to be reminded of the gospel and the immeasurable blessings that we have in Jesus And Christian, you need to be reminded of this every single day. That in the cross of Christ, your transgressions are forgiven. That in the cross of Christ, your sins are covered. And the Lord does not count your iniquity against you. In Christ, you are no longer a sinner, but you have been justified. You have been declared righteous. You have been made perfect in the eyes of Almighty God because He has covered your sin in the blood of the Lamb. Amen, somebody. Blessing is found in complete forgiveness. Blessing is received through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus. But finally, blessing includes God's guidance. Look with me to verses 8 through 9. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Stop right there. In verse 8, it seems like there's a transition from David praying to God to God now answering David's prayer. And in verse 8, we find another Hebrew triplet where the Lord will instruct, teach, and counsel. You see, God does not save anyone so that they can jump right back into a life full of sin. But he guides all believers into lives marked by holiness. How does he guide his people? 
through his holy word and through his caring discipline. So we'll start with his word. God guides us by his word. And that 2 Timothy 3.16 says that all scripture is inspired and God breathed. That 2 Peter 1 says that no prophecy of scripture was ever, ever given by man's own interpretation. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This book that we have in our possession is God breathed. The literal word of God. Our God wrote a book and he has given it to us for our joy. And we would be wise to listen to it and to obey it. Because for those who do not listen to it, the Lord still loves you enough to pull you on the right path like a muzzled horse. To use a different animal analogy, you know, when when shepherds have a, a sheep who is wandering away, you know what they do. The shepherd will actually break the sheep's legs and then carry it on his shoulders until the sheep is healed. And after that experience, the sheep never wanders for the rest of its life. If you're one of Christ's sheep, let me tell you, he loves you enough to break your legs from time to time. Some of you know the love of Jesus and you've had your legs broken. I've had a couple stories of broken legs myself. But the Lord disciplines those that he loves. And he guides us by his word. He guides his people through scripture and he guides us through discipline. But his direction does not stop there. Look at what his direction leads to in verses 10 through 11. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. In verse 11, we get the final Hebrew triplet of this passage. The righteous are commanded to be glad, rejoice, and shout for joy. The natural overflow of a forgiven soul is joy. We come back in verse 11 to the blessedness of verse 1. And let me tell you, church, there's one thing that I love about this church so much is that you are a singing church. We do not have a big, impressive band. We do not have the resources of a larger church but we got a group of forgiven saints who love to raise their voices to the Lord. And it's one of my favorite parts of the week when I get to hear your voices singing to me and I'm singing back to you and we're all lifting them to the Lord. Uh, Pretty soon we're going to end the service with that old hymn, Rock of Ages. Now, do we sing that song because the tune and the melody are so great? Absolutely not. The tune is perfectly okay. (laughs) But the reason we sing it is because of those words. We sing it because we have been forgiven and we have been blessed. We have sorrows in this life, but the sorrows that we have are not the sorrows of the wicked. We have the hope of eternal life in Jesus. And that hope produces joy in our souls that we simply cannot contain. And that was my prayer for us this morning, is that we would find joy in confessing our sins to God. Because in Psalm 32 we found three reasons why confessing our sins brings blessing. We found that blessing is found in complete forgiveness. Blessing is experienced through repentance and faith. And blessing includes God's guidance. So let me ask you, do your bones ache this morning? Have you been despairing like David did? Have you been carrying around the weight and burden of your sin and you're just not sure if you can carry it one more inch You don't have to keep carrying it. Completely and absolutely bringing your sin to Jesus, he will completely and absolutely forgive it. 
And maybe you are a Christian in this room, but you haven't felt the blessing of forgiveness in a long time. And let me ask, when was the last time that you really confessed your sins to the Lord? When was the last time that you were reminded that in Christ you have been justified? There's a lot that could be said about obeying the word of God and not ignoring the Lord's direction. And even about singing to the Lord from this passage. But really, I have only one pastoral charge for you this morning. I just have one way that you can apply Psalm 32 to your life and find true blessing. Only pastoral charge is this. Confess to the Lord and look to Jesus. Confess to the Lord and look to Jesus. If you're not a believer in this room, there is nothing more important than for you to look to Christ and to receive the blessing of salvation. There is a day coming for all of us when we'll have to answer for every sin we've ever committed. And if we have not been justified and declared righteous in the eyes of Almighty God, then He will justly condemn us for our sin. Don't assume that you'll live forever. Don't assume that you'll have time later to repent. Turn from the sin in your life and turn to Christ and His cross and repent of your sin and trust alone in His sacrifice. But if you're a believer... You are not done confessing till you are home in your father's house. Don't be content to live with unconfessed sin. Keep going to him in prayer. Keep confessing your sins. So often when we pray to God, we only pray about the things that we want him to do for us. Lord, heal me. Lord, keep me safe. Lord, protect me. And those are good prayers to pray. But do you ever go to God simply in a spirit of confession? If you don't, start. And when you do, do not despair in your sin, but let that confession lift your eyes up and look back to Jesus in the cross and how glorious of a Savior you have. I love what the great Puritan Robert Murray McShane said, For every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. Continue to confess your sins and look to Jesus and remember that because you are justified, it's just as if you'd never sinned. I'll end with the story that I'm borrowing from Pastor David Platt. Uh, there was once a wealthy Englishman who bought a Rolls Royce. And if you know Rolls Royce, it's been advertised and promoted as the car built to never break down. So this wealthy Englishman bought this expensive car and he was actually driving through France when the car broke down. And so he calls Rolls Royce and he says, well, the car you said never would break down has broken down. And so they put a mechanic on a plane and flew him to France. And he fixed the car as fast as possible and then flew back. And the Englishman expected to receive a bill. But after a long time waiting, he decided to call Rolls Royce and make sure that he didn't miss it. So he picked up the phone, called the dealership and said, hey, I'd really like to pay my bill and get this behind me. And the people at Rolls Royce told him, I'm sorry, sir, but we have absolutely no record of anything being wrong with your car. And to think that because of Jesus, the sovereign God of the Bible looks at you and I and says, I have absolutely no record of any wrongdoing. And that's the greatest blessing that you could ever receive. Amen, church? Amen. And on that note, let's pray. Oh, holy God, if you should number our sins, oh Lord, who could stand? But we're thankful forever for the cross and for the grace that we've received from it. Who are we that we should be loved by you? 
Lord, may we be a church that is marked by the joy of the gospel and guide us to never turn from it. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Hi, Taylor Callen, pastor of Oregon Baptist Church. Thank you so much for listening to this sermon. I pray that you are more encouraged and love Jesus and the gospel more after hearing the sermon than when you first sat down to listen to it. Know that that our heart at this church is that this sermon would be an encouragement to you and would be a useful resource, but would in no way replace the pastor that God has called to shepherd you or the church that you're called to be a member of. With that being said, if you want more information about our church or want to hear more sermons, go to horicanbaptist.com.